Hello, and welcome to the Poo 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 podcast. This is Lisa Mayer, the Maine Rebbitson, and this memory is called Twice Derailed. My advertising friend Janet had to go to California to shoot a commercial. You know how it is when you travel, she said to me. At the beginning of the five-hour trip, you're like, oh, so what kind of business are you in? And by the end, you're like, yeah, well, maybe you really should break up with him. I love meeting new people on trains, planes, boats, whatever. You really get a juicy glimpse. And then the train pulls into the station, the plane lands, the boat docks, and poof! Everyone's interesting for a little while. The summer my son Zachary was two, my biggest client at the advertising agency was Amtrak. I was writing all about strolling the wide, spacious aisles and relaxing with the comfortable leg rests on those long-distance Amtrak trains, but I had never actually been on one. Then, my childhood friend Elizabeth invited us up to her new house in Toronto. I decided to go by train. Poof! Zachary was ecstatic. He loved everything about the train. Besides strolling the wide, spacious aisles and relaxing with the comfortable leg rests, he delighted in putting a magazine into the pocket in the seat in front of him and taking it out again, and in again, and out again. He was fascinated by the water fountain and the little white paper triangle cups you got at the water fountain, and the bathroom toilet, which didn't flush because there was just a hole right onto the tracks, and you could see the actual train tracks flash by underneath. Actually, that fascinated me too. The train stopped a lot. Every little town all the way up New York State had a stop. It was almost a 12-hour ride to Toronto. Elizabeth thought we were crazy when I had a perfectly good car, but the client was so excited that I was taking his train that when he bought me the tickets, I was afraid he would come with us. A few stops north of the city, a young man got on board, strolled down the wide spacious aisle, and sat down next to us. I guessed he was a few years older than me. I was 28. Oh, so uh, what kind of business are you in? He said he was an actor. Now, the only business that trumps advertising is acting, and I peppered him with questions. He said he was on his way to Toronto to be in a play, but he wasn't sure of all the details. His friend there was arranging everything. I asked if he had costumes. He said he likes to travel with costumes, but they were packed away in his suitcase. Zachary started to get a little tired and nudgedick, so I started singing his favorite song to get him to nap. Now, in those days... Zachary's favorite song wasn't Baby Beluga. It was a show tune from the hit Broadway musical, a musical from 1954 called The Pajama Game. 1954, before even I was born. The song is called Hernando's Hideaway, and it's great. I know a dark, secluded place. A place where no one knows your face. A glass of wine, a fast embrace. It's called Hernando's Hideaway. Ole. Zachary sang along. I know a Darcy cooded pace. Oh, it was so cute. My new friend Jack was charmed. 
After three rounds of the song, Zachary finally fell asleep, and I asked Jack if he could watch him while I got something from the cafe car. I offered to get him, Jack, something too, my treat, but he said no thanks. I remember coming back with a chocolate chip cookie for him anyway. Hey, I was now a Jewish mother. Hours later, when we were almost near the Canadian border, I took out our passports. The Canadian immigration officer came strolling down the wide, spacious aisle, checking passports right and left. Mine and Zachary's were handed back. And then the officer looked at Jack. And suddenly there were many Canadian immigration officers and United States immigration officers, too. And they were bodily dragging my new friend Jack off the train. It wasn't until we got to Toronto that I was able to find out the truth. My new friend Jack was a wanted man, wanted for murder. He'd been on the run, and they'd been looking for him for months. I was shocked. He, he seemed so nice, I said. I didn't add that I left my sleeping two-year-old in his care while I strolled up those wide, spacious aisles for a tuna fish sandwich and a couple of chocolate chip cookies. He said he liked to travel with costumes. Hmm. Jack. Hmm. I don't remember if I told Elizabeth the whole story either, but I remember that we had a great visit and that her little daughter, Sarah, hit it off with Zachary and drove him all around their enormous house in her little Tykes electric car and that Elizabeth was the first person I ever knew who had a cell phone, which she used from the car on our way home from the market to ask her housekeeper to please start boiling the water so that we could make the kreplach as soon as we got home because Sarah and Zachary were hungry. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. A few years later, our family moved to Scarsdale, and we had my second son, Aaron, and a little while after that, I went back to work on 53rd and Lexington. The morning Metro North train from Scarsdale, up in fancy Westchester, to Grand Central Station in New York City, was chock full of husbands. Hundreds of husbands, all in Brooks Brothers' dark suits and ties, all with monogrammed briefcases, all with those pointy, pinholed leather floor-shime shoes with the tassels. They filled the seats and the airspace in front of them with enormous, unfolded New York Timeses. Some wrote in ledger books, some brought Gomorrahs, and of course, later, everyone had laptops. I was one of the very few wives on that Metro North train, and maybe because I was an anomaly and a newbie, one of those husbands from our synagogue, the young Israel of Scarsdale, would often sit with me and chat, meaning he would talk about money and I would listen. He had a lot of money. He was a lawyer and a CPA. You should be making at least 125 to live here, Lisa, he said to me, meaning $125,000. Of course, to be nearly comfortable. His voice trailed away meaningfully, meaning I really should be making more. Years later, when I was making much less because I had left my six-figure advertising job to become a klezmer musician, see what I do with good financial advice, Mr. Lawyer CPA? I heard something about him. He had just stabbed his wife to death in the shower. He and she, a pediatrician, were going through a horrible divorce. 
Their children were older and already moved out of the house. She changed the locks. He called the locksmith and had them changed back to fit his old keys. So he could open the door early one Friday morning, hear her in the shower, and rummage through his old kitchen drawers for a sharp knife and surprise her with it in the shower 21 times. After which, according to a large unfolded New York Times, he went back into his old kitchen, smoked a cigarette, and called the police and told them he had found his wife dead in the shower. He's serving 20 years. He seemed so nice, I said. It was featured in every print and online newspaper in the country. Millionaire psycho killer, murderer in a mansion, Scarsdale stabber. You can read all the horrific and sensational details. It might make you sick. And you can even see pictures of him. He's not in Brooks Brothers anymore. He's got a new suit, a jumpsuit made of orange Tyvek. I recently reconnected with my advertising friends, which included Janet. One of the old gang found, found an old picture of us looking fabulous at a party, posted it on Facebook, and we all started chatting again, reminiscing and catching up. Oh, so uh, what business are you in these days? Oh, and you have a new boyfriend? Talk to me, I say. You know, I'm an excellent judge of character. <laughs>